0: All right, let's uh, grab a seat and a Bible. If you have your Bible, go ahead and get it out. We are going to continue preaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, we have journeyed all year through 1 and 2 Corinthians. We're going to keep it up in 2 Corinthians today. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and get it out. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to set us up this way. One of my favorite stories in the Bible that always gets my heart going. Like, it, I think it would do this for most Most of the men that are here with me will feel this when you read through a story like this. One of my favorite stories is a little obscure passage that's found in 2 Samuel chapter 23. And it's describing a group of men that the Bible calls David's mighty men, David's mighty men. This group of special forces type soldiers who tethered themselves to their king, whose number one objective was to protect and represent their king well. And right tucked into the description of these mighty men as a character who lives the most obscure yet courageous life recorded in Scripture. It's a pretty fascinating story. So 2 Samuel chapter 23, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it. I'm going to read the description of this guy's life, and the wind is going to be our friend today, right? All right. Verse 20, 2 Samuel chapter 23. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits, He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And he struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand, and he killed him with his own spear. Let's pause there. I don't know about you, that does something to me, right? Like, that's incredible. This valiant warrior, up against incredible odds, constantly winning. Like, that's the kind of story that you want to see in a movie. Like, that does something. Now ladies, I I don't, it might do this for you too, but for the guys, it just does something to our heart to, to read a story of a warrior like that. Now, I don't know if you caught this, but it said that he went down into a pit on a snowy day and he killed a lion. I don't want that to be lost on us. Okay. I want you to picture this with me just for a minute. Scripture doesn't tell us what he was doing that day. Scripture doesn't tell us what was going on in his life to make you crazy enough to do what he did that day all it describes for us is his reaction. His reaction is to give chase to a lion. Now, I want you to picture this. It's pretty cool to picture it in your mind, right? Because when a beast, like a lion, goes, it meets your eyesight, turns and looks at you, when that hits the optical nerve and makes its way to the brain, there's usually only one reaction. One reaction is run. Like, get out of here. But that's not what he does. It's not what he does. Picture this for a minute, right? Out of the corner of his eye, Beniah sees something moving, catches his attention. And he stops just long enough to see what it is. Now his vision and the vision of the lion were probably obscured by the falling snow and the cold breath. But all of a sudden, he makes eye contact with this beast. you got to picture what would happen. The adrenaline begins to pump. The muscles begin to tense. The eyes dilate. You're locked in. This is the most intense moment in your life until that time. You know what these lions are capable of. You come face to face with one. You're staring at it. And then after the ultimate staring contest, the most improbable result happens. The lion gives tail and takes off running. Now, again, let's pause just for a minute. If this is me, that is the story I tell at every dinner party for the rest of my life. And that's all I need. I had a staring contest with a lion, and I won, and it was awesome, right? But that's not enough for him. And so he does what nobody in their right mind does. He gives chase, and he starts chasing after this lion, and he goes running after the lion, and he wants to catch this lion. And I don't know if you know this, but lions can run up to 35 miles per hour, and they can jump 30 feet in a single bound. That's not the thing that you chase after, okay? And then the lion makes this mistake. This lion that's running away from him steps over some thin ice or, or, or some didn't see snow covering what ended up being a pit. And his 500-pound frame goes tumbling down into this pit. And now Benaiah comes up on a scene, and he sees two sets of tracks now looking behind him. He sees his feet, and he sees the lion's feet, and then he notices the lion's trail stops. So he makes his way over to the edge of the pit. Right, And you got to measure every step here, right? Because if the lion fell, it's pretty likely that you might fall. And so he makes his way over and looks down. I want you to picture this in your mind. Don't let it be lost on you. You look down into a dark pit, but all you can see is these yellow menacing eyes of an angry lion that just fell into a pit staring back at you. Now, if you're watching this, right, if you're seeing this play out, you take a sigh of relief as Beniah turns around and he goes to walk away. But that's not what he's doing. He's not walking away. He's getting a running start. Because he's going to run and he's going to leap his way down into this pit, right? Into the, the, the shadows of this pit he goes. And all of a sudden you hear the cry of war. You hear this lion roaring angry. You hear Benaiah screaming, a warrior's scream, David's mighty men type of scream. And you're expecting a lion to come out after having a manwich for lunch. Well, that's not what you see. Crawling out of this pit, you see Benaiah covered in his wounds and blood as it drips onto the white snow, having conquered this incredible beast. That does something to your heart when you th- sit and think about, like, the Bible has that story in it. That should do something to us to get us excited. But here's, here's the thing. As I read through Scripture this week of the life of Benaiah, that wasn't actually the most impressive thing that he had done, in my opinion. See, fast forward to 1 Kings chapter 1, and we read about King David, this king that Benaiah had sworn his life to, this king that Benaiah had tethered his life to, to protect, and King David's at the end of his life, and the Bible actually describes him as weak, fragile, unable to warm his own body, bedridden. So he's on bed rest. He's coming to the end of his life there in 1 Kings chapter 1, and as you read through the story, you begin to see he's in a reflective mood, but... Something's gone wrong. You see, David had told everybody around him his plans were for Solomon, his son, to be anointed king of Israel and to lead God's people into the future. Given his fragile state and his weakening body, his other son, Adonijah, decided to stage a coup and take over as king, and that's exactly what he did. He declared himself king. And now we're in a conundrum. We've got this situation. The king is dying. The son has declared himself king. The other son is supposed to be the king, but if... If David dies before he anoints Solomon king, the kingdom will perish. What do we do? We'll enter in a group of people who displayed an incredible amount of courage. A group of people led by David's wife, Bathsheba. The prophet who was used to speaking hard truth into David's life, Nathan. The priest, Zadok. And out of everybody else that was included in this group of people that went to speak a really difficult truth to a king on his deathbed. It's our man, Beniah. This mighty warrior who struck down a line in a pit on a snowy day now finds himself in a king's quarter saying goodbye to the king that he had tethered his life to, having to speak really hard, difficult truth into his life. I don't know if you've been there before, but I think one of the most courageous things to do, the most loving things to do in the life of somebody that you care about, somebody who you said you're going to connect your life to, is to speak that difficult truth into their life when it's the most uncomfortable thing that you need to do. Boy, is that not a hard lesson for us to learn. That's exactly what they do. They come in, they present it. Now, that was a risk on their end because going into the presence of a king, as we've mentioned before, was a risky thing because if that king wasn't happy with you, it's off with you. You're done, let alone a king on his deathbed reflecting on his life, and you're going to come in and tell him one other way he messed up. That's not good, but that's exactly what happens, and they go in, and they share this difficult truth with him, and then all of a sudden he comes to his senses and he, they work with him to come up with a plan to overthrow Adonijah and make sure Solomon's anointed king and the kingdom has fruitful days ahead because of the courage of a group of people who said, we love this king and we represent this kingdom and we love it enough to do what's difficult for the sake of the kingdom and the heart of the king. This is the message that Paul's trying to get across. I mean, you see it. Throughout the pages of Scripture, if you spend time reading your Bible, you will see that same theme. We are called to tether ourselves to our king and represent the kingdom that we've been called to. And there are times when that is anything but comfortable and anything but easy. But that's exactly what Paul is calling the church at Corinth to do. If you remember, if you were with us last week, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul tells us that everybody who is a Christian, everybody who follows Jesus, is in ministry. He says, you've all been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. You've experienced your torn relationship with God, mended because of what Jesus did. And now you've been called to tether your life to your king, Jesus, and spend the rest of your days representing his kingdom. You are an ambassador for a kingdom. You are to tether yourself to a king. But that's not easy. Now the church at Corinth they had begun to tether themselves to some other things and they began to represent a kingdom that wasn't really looking like the kingdom of God and so the apostle Paul in chapter six has to do what Beniah did and he's going to talk about some of the things that he went through that were really incredible but he's also going to have to come up alongside some people that he really loves and say some really hard truths to them so let's see how this plays out Second Corinthians chapter six if you have your Bible we're going to pick up uh, we're going to start here in verse one. Paul says this, as God's co workers, we urge you to receive God, we, were, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor, now is the day of salvation. Just quickly, what he's saying there is this he's saying, don't represent God's kingdom, don't represent what has been going on in your life in, in a vain way. You've, rep- you've been become a Christian, but you are not living the life that you've been called to live. Your life, the time that you're living, he's speaking to the church at Corinth, you are living in the days of the fulfillment of the days of salvation. God promised long ago there would be a day when people would have access to salvation and you are living in those days and you must represent that truth with faithfulness. Now he's going to keep going here because they've been questioning whether or not they should even listen to him. That's their problem. They're like, oh, well, the way we see success, Paul, doesn't look like the life that you've been living. Success to us looks comfortable and, and, and smart and when guys get up there and they're, they're winsome and they can win over a crowd and it looks big and incredible but Paul every time you come to town you've been beat up and every time you get up here and try to talk to us like you stumble over your words you're not the vision that our world has of success so why should we even listen to you so now Paul's going to begin to defend himself just a little bit he's going to start in verse 3 we're just going to pause in verse 3 here in a second. He said, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. I, I want to pause there for a second. I didn't write what I'm about to say to you until this morning. as I've, been, I, I've just been dwelling on this passage all week. And I wrote the sermon, and I came into the office early this morning, and I sat down with this, and I started reading through this passage again, and it just hit me. I yearn for the day where this becomes a reality in the life of Christians in our culture. Like, I I cannot wait until people begin to get how important what he just said in verse 3 is for everything. Let, Let me walk you through it. You realize what he said? He said to the church at Corinth, he said, hey, we put no stumbling blocks. I want you to think just for a second how hard that is to do. Think about your life. Paul said, I put the way I live my life, the decisions that I make, I put no stumbling blocks before you and your ability to grow in Christ. Do you understand how sacrificial that is? How difficult it is. Here's what Paul is saying. Anything that I wanted to do, the first thing I thought of, how will this impact the people I'm supposed to love before I do it? Can you imagine that in our culture? What that means is, every single thing that I do, I'm thinking about how it's going to impact the kingdom of God and the people around me before I do it. That means a few less Instagram posts, doesn't it? Maybe I don't post that picture that makes other people jealous or makes them envy my life. Because that might be a stumbling block to them. Maybe I don't make that big purchase, or I don't brag about that thing that I got to go and do, because I'm more concerned with the needs of the people around me. Do you understand the severity of what Paul is saying here? What made his heart beat was to watch people grow in Christ. And for him to say, I put no stumbling blocks before you, you might be saying, aren't we allowed to live our lives though, Rob?" Like, really, if I want to post something and I want to celebrate something and somebody sees it as a stumbling block, isn't that on them and not on me? Why is that on me and not on them? That's a really good question. The bigger question you should be asking is, which kingdom do you rather, would you rather represent with your life, yours or his? doesn't mean you can't enjoy your life. That's not what Paul's saying. Enjoy your life, but do so with wisdom and discernment and the concern for other people being what's most important to you. Think about the needs of other people as ambassadors of Jesus. We represent his kingdom, and as I'm representing his kingdom, it's what I'm about to post or what I'm about to say or what I'm about to buy or what I'm about to decide to do or the way I'm raising my kids or the decision I make about where we move or where I work. Is this decision going to become a stumbling block for other people's ability to grow in Christ and then make the decision? That's what Paul's calling them to do here. Now he keeps going. Sorry, that was extra for today. Verse 4. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. In great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distress, in beatings, imprisonments, riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. It's one of the most beautiful descriptions of being an ambassador in the entire Bible. Things won't always go our way. Things won't always be comfortable. Things won't always be great. The question he's trying to get them to think about is, but will you be faithful? Will you be faithful in the small things? Will you be a consistently faithful ambassador for Jesus? He's calling them to consider the lives that they're living. He's trying to tell them there are times in your life where having an impressive resume, the big and explosive success of life is not what you're called to. There are times when God will use that and times when He won't. The bigger question is, in the midst of your suffering or your successes, will you be faithful to your calling in Jesus? He's going to continue on here. Now he's shifting his focus. Like, like, think about the life that he lived. Just think about Benaiah jumping into a pit, killing a lion on a snowy day. Like, how incredible that is. Think about what Paul just said. I've been beaten. I've had cities riot because of what I've taught. I've been left for dead. I've been hungry. I've been cold. I've slept alone. I've been rejected by people. I've been misunderstood left and right. You think about living a life that is an incredible life. The Apostle Paul lived it. And if he were to stop there, then I think that puts them in their place. But he's not done because he does what Beniah did too. He says, I can live this adventurous, incredible life for Jesus, but I can also come into the really uncomfortable moments and begin to call out the people that I love on the things in their life that just aren't looking right. And that's what he's about to do here in these next verses. Look at verse 11. He says, Corinthians, we have spoken to you freely, opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. What Paul is saying is this. I didn't hold back with you. When it came to being in relationship with you, I loved you guys. I was open. I talked about my strengths and my weaknesses. I knew what I needed to get better at. I knew what I was able to do because of what God had gifted me to do. I didn't hold back. I showed you my heart. But there's something missing in you. You're holding back. You're not being vulnerable. You're not being honest. There are areas of your life that need addressed, and you don't even want to talk about them. You're putting up a wall around your heart. You're not speaking to us when we come to town. You're questioning everything. There's something happening to your heart. There's this crust forming around the outside of your heart, preventing you from being authentic. Should we pause? And I will just go through it, all right? I love this because this is what Jesus is invested in in your life. And in mind, what he wants for us as his ambassadors is he wants our successes. But so much in Christianity, especially in the West, we hone in on what it means to be successful as a Christian. And we have more Christian self-help books than any other era in all of history. It's all about me, 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 I, I, I. And while Jesus is interested in your successes, he's going to hone in on your weaknesses. Because it's your weaknesses that force you to rely on his strength and represent his kingdom and not your own. John Tyson, who's a really well-known author and pastor, says it this way. He says, our culture wants you to be successful. So what the culture will do, it will leverage your gifts and ignore your weaknesses. So hear that. Our culture will leverage your gifts. The drums are saying amen. Leverage your gifts, and it will ignore your weaknesses. But Jesus wants you to be whole and holy. So he will acknowledge your gifts, but he is going to focus on your brokenness. Because it's your brokenness that's going to lead you back to Him. Paul continues pointing out what had been broken in their hearts. Here's what he says. Do not be yoked together, verse 14, with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Here's what he says. He says, you... You have tethered yourself to the type of people who are distracting you from the kingdom you've been called to represent. The people you surround yourself with are feeding into the thinking that is leading you away from God and not closer to Him. And here's the summary of it. What Paul is telling the church at Corinth and what we read in in 2 Corinthians for our lives is this. God is absolutely, totally concerned with who you do life with. The people that you keep the closest to you and whether or not they are like-minded whether or not they were representing the kingdom, why? Because the people that you keep closest to you will influence you toward God or away from Him every single time. There was a study done from Harvard that said that the personality traits of people are the sum total of the five people that they keep closest to them in their life. Think about that. What you do, the decisions you make, the life you're living, is the sum total of the five people that you let into your heart, like Paul is saying. You're letting the wrong people speak into your heart, Corinth it's leading you to not live the life he's called you to not only will you not jump in that pit on a snowy day you definitely won't speak hard truth to anybody you're just sitting there and sure you're gonna go to heaven if you haven't lived up to the potential that God had for your life that's for sure you're not living the life he's called you to this is one of the things that fascinates me the most about scripture and one of the chief concerns I have as a dad I am so concerned with the friends that my kids surround themselves with and my kids could tell you this I say this to them all the time Show me your friends, I'll show you your future every single time. Show me the people that are going to speak into your life and the intentionality that they will speak into your life, and I will show you what your future is going to look like every single time. But here's what hit me this week. More is caught than taught. So some of your parents that are like, yeah, listen to him. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Well, it starts with you. What have you modeled for them? Should I turn this way? Is that better? All right, what have you modeled for them? Nobody left. Open fields. I'll do this. Alright. What have you modeled for them? What friends have you welcomed into your home? How have you shown them that the people that you're keeping closest to you are influencing your kingdom upro- approach as well? See, for Paul, what he's telling them is this. You have to be absolutely intentional about every part of your life. And you're like, that seems like a lot of work. Well, it's a lot of work to be an ambassador. You know what else was a lot of work? To die on a cross for the sins of all of humanity. I think he's earned our allegiance. And he's called us to be intentional with that allegiance in the lives that we live and the decisions that we make. And so I want to leave you with two questions, just two things, and we'll finish up. The First question is this. Is there an area of your life, if you take notes, you can write it down, but is there, is there some area of your life as a follower of Jesus? This was really hard for me this week. That no matter how much you enjoy it or can justify its presence in your life might actually be a stumbling block in the life of somebody else. Is there any area of your life that you really need to prayerfully consider saying, as much as I'm allowed to do that, as much as I'm entitled to do that, as much as I've earned the right to do that, I'm going to put that to death for the sake of other people. Question number two. Who are your mighty men? Who is it that you've welcomed intentionally into your life and opened your heart to? And Where are they leading you? What influence are they having on the type of disciple that you are? What influence are they having on the way that you represent the kingdom in your home and workplace and in your life? God is chiefly concerned with the life that we live. He has called us to be people of integrity and character and consistency. And I yearn for the day when God's people can stop and say, we put no stumbling blocks before you so that you could learn about and come to know and grow in your relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, it is beautiful out here, and to see the whole church family together is just a gift. I just pray that we would soak it up and enjoy it. Father, I thank you so much for the gift of church, like-minded people who connect themselves to one another, tether ourselves to our king, and represent your kingdom. But we cannot do it without the power of the Holy Spirit alive inside of us, enabling us to do what we are powerless to do on our own. And so we come before you, we yield ourselves to you. Father, we ask that you would give us the strength that we need to become the people that you've called us to be so that we can do what you have called us to do. We ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to get ready to take some communion together. What I love about what 2 Corinthians 6 causes us to do is this. It causes us to think about and evaluate our lives. It's a consistent theme through First and Second Corinthians. If you read them all in one sitting, it wouldn't take you too long. Where Paul is consistently telling this church, examine yourself, watch out. It's all kinds of influences. There's all kinds of things to distract you and pull you away. Examine your life. Check your heart. Monitor the way that you're living. Think about what your motives are in everything that you do. So I think it's, really important that consistently we have a time as a church family to do the same thing. And so we have communion every week, a time where we can listen to the Holy Spirit saying, examine yourself, check your heart. What were your motives like last week? What are they going to be like going into this week? Where are you at? Whose kingdom are you representing? So we're going to ask you to take just a little bit of time and examine yourself. I mean, ask some really hard questions. Evaluate where you're at in your walk with Jesus. Commit to him to make the changes that he is calling you to make. And spend some time being grateful for the fact that that change is only possible because of what he did for you. Let's pray.